Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, hello and welcome to worship. It's good to be with you if I've not met you before. My name is Daniel. Uh, I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to tune in with us at Kindred, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We're we're very glad that you're here. Uh, Before we get into the sermon today, our scripture reading is from John chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 22. And it says this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem He found in the temple those who were selling cattle and sheep and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency, sitting there. Jesus made a whip from ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. And he scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Well, then the Jewish leaders asked Jesus, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, um, I want to start off with a kind of a a personal question, I guess. But the question is, uh, do you have an anger problem? Do you have an anger problem? Uh, My guess would be that most of us would be pretty quick to say, no, 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 I I don't have an anger problem. Uh, And yet, Uh, I bet that if you think about it, you could tell stories of a time when your anger was a problem. Uh, I bet that uh, if you wouldn't admit to it, you have family members, you have friends who could tell stories of a time when your anger was a problem. Or or you have friends on social media, maybe, that could tell of a time when, when your anger was a problem. If you've ever done anything that you regret out of anger, then... That's a time when your anger, at least for that moment, was a problem. Um, This story is kind of embarrassing to admit, but um, back when I was in in high school, I was probably a a freshman in high school, uh, somehow I got invited to this party. And I can't remember all the details about it, but I remember thinking this party is going to be awesome. There's going to be upperclassmen there. It's going to be great. Well, at some point before the party, my mom found out that there weren't going to be any adults at this party. And that's part of why I was so excited. No adult supervision, you know, it's going to be awesome. Well, my mom said, uh, no, Daniel, you're too young, not comfortable with this. You can't go to this party. Well, when I heard that, uh, I was obviously angry. So my mom and I got into this argument and it got more and more heated. And at a certain point, I realized that I'm not going to win this argument. So in my teenage rage, uh, I stormed across the house toward my bedroom. And when I got about halfway down the hall to my bedroom, for some reason, I decided to make a fist and then I punched the wall as hard as I could. Fortunately, I didn't hit a stud, so I didn't break my hand. But I remember as soon as I felt my fist sink through the sheetrock, immediately I regretted this 
decision. I learned two important lessons that day. Number one, uh, I learned how to fix a hole in sheetrock. My dad made sure of that. It's not a lot of fun. Uh, Number two, more importantly, I learned that if I'm not careful, my anger can lead me to do things that are very, very destructive. Now, you may not have ever punched a hole in the wall, and you can judge me for that if you want to. That's fine. But just remember that, that you've got your own stories, right? You, you've got your own stories of times when you've done something very destructive out of anger. Maybe it was physically destructive. Maybe it was relationally destructive. Maybe you did something that was destructive to yourself uh, out of anger. The, the point is we all know from experience how destructive anger can be. And so it's, it's probably no surprise that anger makes the list of the seven deadly sins. Uh, if you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, we're in a series right now on the seven deadly sins, which are essentially just this list that Christians have created through the centuries of the things that, that uh, are most destructive in our relationship with God and our relationship with others and our relationship with ourself. In other words, these are the things uh, that, that uh, tend to, to do the most harm in keeping us from, from loving God and, and loving others and, and loving ourselves in the way that God wants uh, for us. Today, we're, we're talking about anger, and my guess would be that most of us probably wouldn't argue with, with putting uh, anger on the, the, the top of that uh, list or certainly in that uh, top seven of the seven deadly sins because we know from experience how, how destructive anger can be. And yet, uh, having said that, I think it's also important to acknowledge that anger is not always bad right? Um, There are situations where anger is uh, appropriate. There are even situations where anger can actually be a good thing. Um, I'll give you an example uh, of this. Uh, Several weeks ago, when I first heard the news about the shooting at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, uh, when I first heard that, I felt a lot of things. You know, I felt uh, sadness for those who were suffering. Um, I I felt fear as a parent for for my own children in this increasingly violent world. But, But if I'm honest, more than anything, when I heard that news, I felt angry. I felt angry at this culture of violence that we live in. I felt angry at all the politicians who are so quick to offer condolences and and to say that they're praying and and all of this stuff, but they never seem to do anything that that changes this pattern of of mass killings in our society. I was angry, if I'm honest, at the the gun lobby who who never seems to take responsibility for for anything. I was angry. I mean, my anger just, it was in all directions. I I just felt uh, angry. Now, you may have a different perspective on on some of that than than I did, but, but I feel like in that moment, my anger was was justified, right? Because, you know, we, we, we should get angry as Christians in the face of, of evil and injustice and, and suffering. It's right for us to, to get angry in the face of evil and injustice and, and suffering like that because we believe that, that God gets angry in the face of evil and injustice and, and suffering. Uh, that's why Scripture actually encourages us to be angry. Did you know that? Scripture actually encourages us to to be angry. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, which is in the New Testament. It's actually quoting a verse from the Old Testament that says the same thing. But Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry. Be angry. Why? Because there are situations where anger is is the appropriate thing to, to feel. So it says, be angry, but it doesn't stop there because we all know how destructive anger can be. So Ephesians says, be angry, but without sinning. 
be angry, but without sinning. So the question is, and this is really what I want us to to spend some time thinking about today. The question is, how do we do that? How can we be angry without sinning? In other words, how, how can we be angry in such a way that our anger doesn't keep us from loving God and loving others and loving ourselves in the way that God wants for us? This is such an important thing for us to think about. Because when we get this wrong, our anger can do so much damage. It can ruin relationships. It can make us bitter. It can take a toll on our faith. But on the other hand, when we get this right, when we learn how to be angry without sinning, that can actually restore relationships. That can keep us from being bitter. That can actually help to grow our faith. And if we can be angry without sinning, that can make our anger actually a powerful force for good in this world. And the truth is that it's inevitable. You're going to get angry at some point again in the future. I'm going to get angry again at some point in the future. So how can we do anger well? How can we get angry without sinning? Well, as it turns out, uh, Jesus knows how important of a question this is. uh, And Jesus offers us some help with this. Jesus actually shows us, Jesus models for us what it looks like to be angry without uh, sinning. You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is completely without sin. And yet what we also know is that Jesus absolutely got angry. Some people are surprised to, to know that because we, we often portray Jesus as if he was always nice and gentle and, and polite. He, he certainly was nice and gentle and polite uh, in, in, sometimes, but there were also other times when, when Jesus got angry. And one of the places that we see angry Jesus on full display is here in this story in John chapter 2. So I want us to spend a few minutes unpacking this story a little bit together so that we can see how Jesus teaches us to be angry without sinning. Let's take a look at the story. Uh, It unfolds like this. Uh, Jesus, at the beginning of the story here, Jesus has made his way from his home region of Galilee, kind of a a more rural uh, region up in the northern part of Israel. Jesus has made his way to uh, Jerusalem, which was more in the kind of the southern part of of Israel. Jerusalem was the the big capital city in that area, and Jerusalem was the home of the big Jewish temple complex, where several times a year, uh, Jews from around that region and and even uh, at some points um, around the world would come to, to worship. And in this case, they were coming to worship for the Passover. So Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover, and John tells us that Jesus goes straight to the, the temple. And when Jesus gets to the temple, John says, Jesus goes to the area within the temple where you could have your money exchanged and where you could buy animals. Now, why would people in the temple need to exchange money and, and buy uh, animals? Well, the short answer is, at this time, uh, the, the Jewish people basically considered it unholy to use secular money within the temple. Uh, at this time, the, the Roman Empire was the, the dominant uh, force in that part of the world. And so in most parts of society, the, the currency that you would use for business was, was Roman coins. But the Jews considered it unholy, essentially, to, to use Roman coins within the, the temple. So on your way in, for a small fee, you could exchange your Roman coins for some special temple coins. Uh, why did people need to buy animals on their way into the temple? Well, many of you know this, but uh, in the ancient world, worship involved animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice. That sounds really foreign to, to us today. I know uh, to some of us it may seem cruel or, or inhumane, but it was just a fact of life in the in the ancient 
world. And uh, because of that, you could bring your own animal to sacrifice at the, the temple. But unless you lived pretty close to the temple, that was kind of a hassle. You know, you can imagine like trying to, to herd goats dozens, of, if not hundreds of, of miles. That's a pain. Or, or dragging a bull uh, dozens, of, if not hundreds of, of miles. Nobody needs that headache, right? And at a certain time, uh, the, the temple leaders decided, okay, let's just like set up a, a place where people can buy the animals once they get here. They don't have to go through all of that uh, hassle of, of bringing their own. And that, that turned out to be a pretty lucrative business because demand was, was always uh, high for that. So that's why there was a money exchange and a place where you could buy uh, animals. Well, back to the story. So Jesus goes to that part of the temple. And as soon as he gets there, John tells us that he gets really, really angry. Like not just a little bit miffed, but he gets like livid, red faced, you know, steam coming out his ears, angry. And in his anger, apparently Jesus finds some ropes that were lying on the ground. And Jesus starts swinging these ropes around uh, and and using them like a whip. And, And Jesus uses this makeshift whip to drive all the animals out of the temple. You can imagine the chaos you can imagine the scene with like goats and and cattle and and other things like just running everywhere and then when jesus is done driving the animals out uh he's not he's not done being angry He, he throws down the ropes and he goes over to the currency exchange and he starts flipping over tables you know you can imagine tables crashing to the ground coins flying everywhere people are standing around in shock and as people are standing around uh in shock that they're probably wondering the same thing that i'm guessing that that you're wondering which is like jesus why are you so angry what has got you so mad here well towards the end of the story jesus tells us in in verse 16 he says do not make my father's house, that is the temple, do not make my father's house a place of business, a place of business. In other words, Jesus is telling us that the the reason that he's so angry here is because he sees that the temple leaders are using this business to, to make a hefty profit for themselves. And oftentimes they're making a profit at the expense of, of poor people who have come to, to worship. And you know, the, the calling, the, the job of the temple leaders was supposed to be to, to guide the people in worship, to, to help the people who came to the temple to, to grow in their love of God, to grow in their love of others through worship. And Jesus could see that the temple leaders were, were now more focused on this, this business than they were on their calling. They were distorting what worship should be uh, all about. And so it was that corruption, it was that unfaithfulness that got Jesus so, so angry. So, so, so that's why Jesus got angry. But for today, for our purposes, I want us to keep the focus on how Jesus got angry. Because again, in this scene, uh, Jesus is modeling for us how we can be angry without sinning. Uh, and here's the main thing that I want us to, to see. Uh, about how Jesus got angry. You know, throughout this whole scene, I don't know if you noticed this, but the whole time Jesus was mad, he never did anything that was unloving. Uh, Throughout this whole time of, of being angry, at all times, Jesus kept it loving. And I think that's the main thing that Jesus is trying to model for us here. It's like he's saying to us, hey, you wanna do anger well? You know, you wanna do anger without sinning well? Uh, it's, it's not easy, but, but it actually is this simple, that, that when it comes to anger, keep your anger loving. When it comes to anger, keep 
it loving. Now, I know that's kind of vague and like, what does that mean to keep our anger loving? So let's go into a little more detail. I want to just very briefly highlight four specific ways that we see Jesus keeping his anger loving in this scene. And we'll have to go through these pretty quickly. Um, but, but as we're talking about this, I want you to think about your own anger. And I want you to think about how you tend to express your anger. If you're not sure how you tend to express your anger, I bet you've got some people in your life that would be happy to, to tell you. Um, and as you think about that, think, think about how Jesus is teaching you specifically about how you can do anger better, about how you specifically can, can express your anger without sinning. Uh, so, so here's the first way that we see Jesus being angry without sinning and, and keeping it loving. Uh, the first way is that Jesus expresses his anger in a way that doesn't harm anyone. Did you notice that? Uh, Jesus expresses his anger in a way that doesn't harm anyone. I mean, yes, he makes the whip and he's swinging it around, but he doesn't hurt anybody. And, and even the animals, you know, a whip, that's just how you move large herds of, of animals. It's not cruel or, or harmful or anything. And with the tables, yeah, Jesus flipped over the tables, but it's not like he flipped them over on top of anybody. It's not like he's throwing chairs at people. He's not beating anybody with the bags of coins or, or anything harmful like that. No. And throughout this whole Jesus doesn't even say anything harmful. And this is such a powerful example for us because, I mean, just, just imagine how much less destructive your anger would be if every time you got angry, you were committed to expressing it in a way that didn't harm anyone. Or think about your regrets that you have. How much less regret would you have if every time you got angry in the past, you expressed that anger in a way that didn't harm anyone. I'd have less regrets, and I'm guessing that you would too. So if we're going to keep our anger loving, it's, it's important that we express it in a way that doesn't harm anyone. Uh, the, the second way that Jesus shows us how to, how to keep our anger loving is that throughout this scene, what we see is that Jesus attacks the system rather than the people. Jesus attacks the system rather than the people. Jesus is angry with the people. He's angry with the, the temple leaders who have set this system up. Uh, and yet Jesus doesn't attack those people, right? He attacks the system. And that shows us that it's okay to be angry at people. And it's, it's okay to express anger at people. It's not okay to attack people. If we see systems in this world that are doing harm to people, that's fair game. We, we can go after that. But, but Jesus is showing us, even when you're angry, don't attack people. Uh, this is kind of interesting. I know some of you are familiar with the scholar Ibram X. Kendi. Um, he's done a lot of work around anti-racism. And he actually makes a similar kind of a point in his work. He says, you know, when it, when it comes to racism, uh, oftentimes our tendency is to want to attack a, a racist person when we encounter them or, or racist people when we encounter them. And, and sometimes it can feel kind of good to, to vent our anger uh, at them, but, but he makes the point that that's not really an effective way to combat racism. That doesn't dismantle racism. It actually just adds more hate into the world. So it's, it's kind of counterproductive, if anything. And Ibram X. Kendi makes the argument that uh, the, the, the much more effective way of dismantling racism is to attack racist systems, when we see them. Well, Jesus would, would agree with that perspective, not only because it's a more effective way of bringing about change in the world, um, but also because it's one of the ways that we can keep our anger loving. Uh, the third way that we see Jesus keeping his anger loving and, and modeling uh, for us how to do that is that Jesus never loses control of himself. 
Jesus never loses control of himself. Uh, at the beginning of this story, uh, John mentions something that's easy to overlook, but it's actually really important. In verse 14, John says that when Jesus got to the temple, he found, that's the word John uses, he found this area where the money was being exchanged, where the, the animals were being sold. And that word found implies some intentionality. It implies some forethought. So it's not like Jesus just happened to walk by this area and he had this moment where he snapped and lost control and, and that's when he was swinging the whips and, and flipping over the, the tables. But rather, what, what happened is uh, apparently Jesus had the intention of going to this part of the temple to carry out this demonstration, to, to carry out this like prophetic act of judgment here. So he never loses control. It's, it's very hard for us to keep our anger loving if we lose control. And I think we, we know this from experience, right? Like if you think about the times that you've done something that you regret or you've said something that you regret out of anger, I bet at least in that moment for a second, you, you lost control. And that's why you did the thing that you regret. So it's very important for us. It's not always easy, but it's very important for us that when we're feeling anger, we, we need to check ourselves and, and make sure that we don't lose control. Uh, fourth and, and final thing I'll highlight for us about how Jesus keeps his anger loving, and that is Jesus keeps his anger temporary. He keeps his anger temporary. Here's what I mean by that. Do you know what Jesus was doing in the scene right before this scene where he gets angry at the temple? Uh, well, he wasn't angry. In the scene right before this, Jesus was hanging out at a wedding reception, having a good time. And in fact, he was having such a good time. This is their wedding reception where Jesus turns water into wine in order to keep this party going. So he wasn't angry right before this. What we also know is that Jesus wasn't angry in the scene right after this either. In the scene right after this, Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus drops the number one most famous Bible verse ever. Jesus says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, so that means that right before this scene, Jesus wasn't angry. Right after this scene, Jesus wasn't angry. That shows us Jesus is, is keeping his anger uh, temporary. You know, it's, it's very difficult for us to, to keep our anger loving if we're angry all the time. It, it's hard to stay loving in our anger if we are always, always angry. And so a good question for us to think about is, am I nurturing my anger Am I nurturing my anger? The truth is sometimes we do try to get angry on purpose because it can feel good, right? Who doesn't love a little righteous indignation? I mean, as long as I'm angry at you and the ways that I think you need to change, I'm not having to think about myself and the ways that I need to change, right? And so if we're honest, sometimes we do this. We'll, we'll pull up cable news. We'll pull up Twitter. We'll get together with our friends so we can start gossiping about other people so that we can get angry because it can feel good, right? But the truth is, that is toxic. When we're angry all the time, it, it, it's toxic for us spiritually, but, but scientific research also backs up that this is toxic for us in other ways too. I know uh, some of you are Brene Brown fans, and uh, here's what Brene has to say about anger. She says, anger can be a powerful catalyst, but it's a life-sucking companion. Anger can be a powerful catalyst, but it's a life-sucking companion. In other words... 
Don't stay angry all the time. When anger becomes a, a, a companion, it's, it's life-sucking. It's harmful. It's toxic. So, so that's why Jesus gives us the example here, I think, of, of keeping our anger uh, temporary. That's how we can keep it loving. So I don't know, as, as we think about uh, Jesus' example, I don't know which of these things jump out to you as things that you should work on in relation to, to your anger. Maybe you need to work on expressing your anger in a way that doesn't harm people. Maybe you need to work on uh, expressing your anger in a way that, that goes after systems and, and not people themselves. Maybe you need to work on uh, controlling yourself when you're angry, not losing control. Maybe you need to work on keeping your anger temporary and, and not nursing it. I don't know which of these things uh, applies to you. Um, all of these, honestly, are things I probably need to work on myself. But but here's what I do know for all of us. If, if we can follow Jesus' example... If we can be angry without uh, sinning, then that's going to make our relationships better. Uh, That's going to make our mental health better, probably our physical health too. It's certainly going to make our spiritual health better and and our faith better. It's going to make our lives better in a a pretty holistic way. And as a result, because we're going to be better people, more loving people, that's going to make the world better uh, as well. So, so this is really important for us to keep thinking about and, and working on. And the truth is that we can't do this on our own. Uh, we, we need God's help with this. So let's pray together now that God would help us with our anger. Uh, Lord God, uh, we, are, um, uh, we are angry people, if we're honest, Lord. Uh, most of us tend to get angry uh, a lot. And uh, so we're thankful that you don't tell us that we shouldn't get angry. God, we know that you get angry in the face of evil and injustice and and things that aren't right in the face of suffering. God, you've created us in your image so that we get angry at those very same things. And and you affirm this and you tell us that that's good and, and that's right. And yet, God, we know that anger can also be such a destructive force in our lives. God, we confess the, the ways that we have let our anger get the best of us and, and we've done things that are harmful and destructive. So, so God, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your help. God, help us to be angry without sinning. Lord, it's, it's not easy, um, but, but we know how important it is, God. As we learn and as we grow in, in our ability to be angry without sinning, God, we, we pray that that would be a life-giving example to the world around us. God, that this world that is so filled with, with so many destructive forms uh, of anger, God, help us to, to resist that by, by embodying a very different way. Lord, we, we pray all of this in the name of your Son who lived and died and rose again to save us from our sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, uh, a few quick things here for us before we go. Uh, If you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you, but I need your contact information to do that. So click the connect link in the description here. And uh, if you leave me some information, I will reach out to you later this week. I look forward to meeting you. Also, if you're local, we would love to see you in in in-person worship. You can get on our website, kindrednc.church, to get all the details uh, about how to find us and and where to meet us for in-person worship. And then finally, as always, uh, check the announcements link in the description and that'll keep you up to speed on all the ways that you can currently get involved with our community uh, if and when you're ready to do so. So friends, uh, remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Listeners, this free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives and it helps us to share and embody God's love. 
If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.